0: Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week. Happy to be here. And this week, uh, I have invited guest Liz LaPointe. And Liz has an interesting backstory and um, you know work that she does. She's a blogger. she I, I see her on Twitter all the time. She has done modeling. she has done um, a lot of very interesting uh, articles and write-ups and shows about a ver- a variety of things. And so I thought, why don't I just let Liz introduce herself here and then we'll get into talking about what we're going to talk about this week. So Liz, over to you and welcome to my show.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. I'm I'm so happy. I'm thrilled to be here, actually. This is fun. Because, uh, you know, we've connected on Twitter a, a long time ago. And yeah. so now we get to chat and actually see eye to eye. And I love it. So, um, but you're right. It's, it's kind of hard to describe me and what I do, I guess, because, you know, I've done so much over the last year, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years now. But uh, uh, I'm a content producer on YouTube uh, with a channel, The Naked Advice with Liz LaPointe. Um, where I gave sex and dating relationship advice. And um, that was also on my blog, thenakedadvice.com. And so I answered people's letters, asking questions about, you know, their dating life and sex life and so forth. And um, I... Uh, in college, I focused on the social sciences and human sexuality. And 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 I was really bothered by a lot of what you saw online, a lot of myths and misinformation about relationships and so forth. And that's partly what spurred it. I would talk to my husband, Terry, about um, my past experiences dating and the lessons I learned from them, et cetera, et cetera. And he finally encouraged me. He's like, you should just start a blog and... Share these experiences with people and you know, hopefully, start a community and reach out to people and everything. And then I realized if I started the channel, that would reach more people, and so I decided to cover a lot of those topics also on the channel, which was a lot of fun but a lot of hard work,
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, right. Especially if you want to keep up, you know, you don't want people. Well to just gloss over your channel, right? So I felt like I had to be very visual with, you know, lots of pictures and graphics and and that takes a lot. That takes a lot of work and planning and editing and so forth. And yeah. But anyway, so I did that for a good couple of years and uh burned out. And long story short, um, I also realized, I made the connection that a lot of the myths and misinformation that um was online was perpetuated by conservative authoritarian religions. And when I made that connection is when I was like, you know, I'm, I think I'm done talking about this and I want to actually tackle the root cause. Nice. And so that ended up making me focus more on, and then Godless Liz was born.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I came up with the name only because I was like, well, what's, the, what's a quick way to communicate to anybody who comes along uh, my profile that i'm an atheist or that i'm going to be talking about religion and so godless liz is just what popped into my brain and and so i just started that twitter profile and
0: well it's and a better it's, it's a better moniker than the naked atheist <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well especially because if you use i learned the hard way actually with my channel my blog that if you have the word naked in, in anything you might you're more likely to get shadow banned and
0: exactly. exactly
1: so you know advertisers
0: tend to skew that conservative demographic because they are so paranoid about offending right. people and upsetting people and all of that and it's it's a problem in our culture and I'll, I'll include Scientology and a lot of cults in that conservative authoritarian mix that you're discussing you're talking about right because it's very very Scientology is extremely conservative in their sexual sexuality and sexual views and and it took me a long time after coming out of Scientology to realize, you know, where society was at and that there are sides to this and that, and that sexual expression and, and sexuality and even discussions about it are so hot topic. They're so like charged up sometimes. And it's, yeah. a, little, it's a little like, damn, you know, this is really just at, at the root, if we're really going to be real, right? We're talking about right. a biological process. We're really not um, talking about anything wild and and insane and orgiastic and nasty, <laughs> you know. So it's a right. little like, what the hell, uh, you know?
2: Right,
1: right. We're grown ups. We should be able to talk about these things, <laughs> exactly. right? And do you find that? A lot of people are actually surprised to learn that Scientology skews more conservative with their views about sexuality, too.
0: Well, only not only because, only not because of, their, of their hardcore anti-LGBT stance and, mm-hmm. and the writings on that, even though now they're trying to put on a more accepting and tolerant public veneer. Inside, you know, you move a few steps into that world and it becomes very anti-LGBT very quickly. And, -hmm. of course, they criminalize masturbation in Scientology. So you learn quickly that, oh, yeah, these guys are not about sexual liberation or freedom at all. It's the exact opposite.
2: Right, right.
0: I think it was basically Hubbard had a few things to say and wrote about it, which really was informed a lot by the times that he and the places where he was raised. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. think it was a Hubbard an L. Ron Hubbard thing so much as when he wrote in the 1950s about, um, you know, sadism and masochism and, and these perverse practices that people get up to he was speaking the language of the culture at the time this was not like this um wildly out there view the culture has changed mm-hmm. and i believe correctly so
2: mm-hmm. and, okay. and,
0: and scientology can't you know so the writings are still there
1: what and- is your um what is your impression of the reason why Oh, well why I, are so many religions very anti-LGBTQ and
0: Yeah, I think it has to do with control, personally. I, I look Agreed, at it as, yeah. as a control point. It's maybe that's an effect rather than a cause, but I, I, I think that you you have religion set up as a as a moral system. Uh it, it's certainly a key part of religion. There's other things that religion does, but certainly. Establishing morality is a, is a key um, component of any religious practice, and I think that they have this very strict, you know, very narrow view of what's right and wrong and good and bad when it comes to men and women, especially when you get into um, more you get to the extreme ends of of Christian uh, Christianity or Islam, where women are regarded. Really, at a core level, as property,
1: right? Yeah,
0: and as chattel, as as you know, as this is this is this is my you know the whole umbrella of God, and then it's the guy who runs the family, and and he's the Mm -hmm. protector and the provider, and the woman is the homemaker, and she is considered property first of the family she comes from, and then that transfers to the husband. And we see this in the purity culture and in the conservative circles. And it's not all Christians by any stretch. We know there's lots of very liberated, liberal Christians, but you do, but you see this and it's a cultural thing. It's not just a, a few outliers. And that's why I was so fascinated in reading about you and your background that that's where you went in trying to, like, you were also like, hey, I'm actually talking all this talk about sexuality and and sexual practice, I'm just talking symptoms right now, you know, the causes of this go back to religious problems.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, and I'm I'm curious if you'd like to take a minute and kind of talk about that a little bit, because I'm curious how you, how that went for you, how you established that as your path.
2: Well,
1: it occurred to me that just talking about symptoms obviously just talking about symptoms doesn't help very much i mean it helps to acknowledge symptoms don't get me wrong you can't tackle uh, the root cause of anything if you can't acknowledge the symptoms and signs right of
0: course of course
1: Uh, but it occurred to me that because our culture is mainly made up of religious people whether conservative or liberal leaning um a lot of those negative ideas infiltrated our culture at large so even people who weren't raised in a religion were getting these the wrong ideas about how to treat each other in during dating and marriage and how to have you know sex and all that right um and so it's important to tackle the root cause whether or not you identify with the the root cause because you probably heard those bad messages anyway
2: that's right and
1: Yeah. And I mean, I don't know a single person who was even raised in an atheist home who wasn't negatively affected by a lot of these messages or it it affects all of us, the culture at large, politics, you name it. That's right. And so we're forced to care about the things people believe in because they affect us.
0: Exactly.
2: Exactly.
1: And... I grew up in a home that was uh, conservative. It's a it's that's a long story.
2: <laughs> too, many, <laughs> yeah.
1: too many details to go into that one. Sure, uh, it's it's not easy to summarize my upbringing either. But um, long story short, I also heard anti-LGBTQ messaging and bad ideas about uh, sexuality and marriage and so forth. And um, for whatever reason, I just was very naturally contrarian to them even at a young age <laughs> i was i remember challenging an adult when i was around eight when they said something anti-gay and i was like i literally said to them you know they can't help it right like because the person was saying something as if it was a choice
0: right right
1: i, I just instinctually understood it wasn't a choice and i couldn't understand even at eight or nine years old why they didn't understand that it just made no sense to me and so that's where a lot of this comes from it's a lifetime of experiences i just i had a lot of things to say about religion and its influences on the rest of us that i just couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore and that's where it, i had i I needed a space to get those thoughts out and right twitter ended up being the space right
0: <laughs> and and, <laughs> and we'll see if uh, if musk doesn't take this thing before too long if we uh, you know, stay there or have to go somewhere else. But um, it's interesting. I, I, you know, in thinking about this and listening to what you're saying and, and considering this, I'm thinking to myself that it was, it was for me, I tackled LGBT straight off after coming out of Scientology. Like, within a month or two, I was going down rabbit holes of reading and studying, what's this really all about? Who are these people? What are they really saying? What do they really want? And realizing that it was a human rights issue and that it wasn't about, you know, the the sex or the practice of what they're doing because who gives a shit? They're in the bedroom. They're out of your life. They're no – that doesn't concern you in any way.
1: Right, right.
0: And there's this whole weird uh, kind of attack mode trope going around right now that – you know the the drag queens and the this and the that and they're coming for your kids and it's grooming and they're just they're just you know they're sort of uh, appropriating the language of psychology and trauma and abuse without really understanding it or using the terms properly and and, mm-hmm. it, and it really annoys me in the same way it you know narcissist is now so broadly misused and you're just like ah. People, you know, it it just gets watered down where you can't really even talk about it, like Nazis, you know, you can't, you just can't use that word anymore because it doesn't really mean anything like it used to. But this, and grooming I'm talking about here, right, they talk about this is grooming. Well, no, it's not. The grooming right. is a very specific thing. It's just like gaslighting. It's a very specific thing. And you go, well, anybody, anytime anybody lies to me, they're gaslighting me. And they're like, nah, it's a little bit not different the, than that. Yeah, not the same. Exactly. But the human rights aspect is what really slapped me in the face because I came out of, even in Scientology, I was very uh, hept on or very into human rights. And I thought as a group, we supported and and pushed and, and tried to implement. Human rights and even educated kids about the, you know, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and this was something I took seriously as a Scientologist, and I really believed the Kool Aid I was drinking from Scientology about that topic, uh, because human rights are important, and they are something that are universally ratified in most countries in the world, and they are a value that is recognized and and uh, and paid attention to. So I couldn't help but see the con- the conflict. You know, you say you support human rights, you say you want freedom of speech, travel, movement, you know, privacy, etc. And yet, here's all these encroachments, here's all this these demands by religion, not only Scientology, but way out of the far right extremist nonsense,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that you don't have the right. To be who you are or practice your life the way you want to behind closed doors where you're not affecting anybody and it's consent.
1: Right. You're literally not hurting anyone. Right. It makes no sense. Right. And and, and that
0: conflict was really important to me. That's what kind of turned me on first to, oh, it's not just cults. Oh, there's like, there were like religious, whole religious organizations that don't have to go all the way down the cult spectrum, you could say. Mm-hmm. Can still be hostile, openly, blatantly hostile to people's basic human rights. And that was a little eye-opening. Like, oh, okay, we have a contradiction here, and it's a rather large one.
1: And I think a lot of um conservative religions are scapegoating LGBTQ people by calling them groomers and pedophiles right. and child rapists and all that crap. Mm-hmm because they know they're not actually hurting anybody being... just inherently not hurting anyone. Two consenting adults who happen to have the same genitals are not hurting anyone being in a loving, consensual, romantic, and or sexual relationship. So they had to invent a reason for their hate. They had to invent a reason to uh, uh, justify being... Outright bigots and persecuting them, and so and of course it's horseshit. So and we know that, but you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't, and that's the sad, scary thing that we're dealing with right now.
2: It, exactly, I mean, been
1: dealing with. But.
0: well, exactly, and and yeah. and we have to comment on because this is all going in the direction of what we're going to be talking about as the main topic here. But this is exactly the segue into it: is how do you have these organizations that are religious? That, that claim to be existing for the public good, for charitable purposes, for human rights purposes, for educational purposes. How do you have these organizations that say this, but then at the, out of the same mouth and the same breath are saying, here's a whole bunch of human beings who don't get the same human rights as everybody else because of who they are, how they choose to live their life, how they choose to dress because it's such, it's in such contradiction to our personal dogma or belief set that it offends me so heavily that I have to go and take actual real-world action and, and even legislate against this group of people. That's where I find a gross level of hypocrisy.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And... Perfectly, uh, this perfectly probably allows us to segue into the tax conversation because exactly. what you're <laughs> because what you're bringing up is a great example of. Um, it's the same thing with the hypocrisy behind. They're always saying, and by they I mean conservative religion in general. Obviously, you know, I don't know if we need to preface everything we say with there are exceptions, but <laughs> right.
0: I think we've established <laughs> but, that, right? Like right? we are talking about people. I think you and I and everybody out there knows who we're talking about. They are not. Right. They're not bashful. And they're not shy; they are very (laughs) outspoken. And it's not just the Westboro Baptists, right? It's like like, there's—I mean, we're talking about Ron DeSantis. We're talking about half the state of Florida right now. I mean, it's really gone beyond the pale.
1: Right, right. And so the so they like to say that they are for helping people. Uh, you know, if they if they believe in Jesus, then it's about oh Jesus wanted to feed the poor and and shelter people, and you know I I'm the kind of person who would give you the shirt off my back and everything, and then they vote for politicians and vote against proposals that are uh, for uh, federal social like welfare programs and social programs and safety nets. That's
2: right. Uh,
1: they vote in the exact opposite of their supposed beliefs, right? And for the longest time, that confounded me. I'd be like, I don't, it it makes no sense. I don't understand. And then I finally realized that it's because they just don't want the government being allowed to help people. They want people to be dependent on their local churches. Right. It's similar to uh, small cults who want to maintain, maintain control over their entire group and so all the followers and members and no we need you to be reliant on us when you are in dire straits you're we don't want the government being able to help you because if the government can help you then you're not dependent on us and we need you to be dependent on us Ex- and that's where it yes from. and i don't know yes. if i've ever heard anybody say that out loud but i'm just saying based on Right.
0: (laughs) I agree. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody put it exactly that way either. So thank you for doing so, because I I could not agree with you more. And I mentioned it's about control. And I think that that I I think you're speaking to causes now because you have a group of people who demand. I mean, the words they use are not again, they're not bashful about this. They're not even covert about it. Submission. Mm Right, You have to give over to Jesus or God and, and let yourself go and all of this. The language all pushes you in this direction or concept of you're not the one in charge, someone else is. And and that someone else is not some sky daddy, some guy on throne in the clouds that we're not talking to. It's the guy, it's the earthly representatives.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That, that are the ones who actually in the real world are interpreting the books and are writing the legislation and are writing the rules. And then they convince a group of people, well, th- this is the truth. And because this is the truth, this is how you have to live your life. And, and of course, my whole channel is all about that mindset about how people get You know, into a place where truth with a capital T, you can't argue with it. This is the only path to salvation, and and this is my faith, and this is what I believe, and therefore this is how I have to act according to how my church leaders tell me I have to act. How Mm. my church leaders tell me from the pulpit how I have to vote. So common now that it's almost not even worth commenting on, except for the fact that it's a blatant violation of their tax-exempt status, according to the IRS tax codes. It's a blatant violation.
1: The Johnson Amendment. Yeah. Which, I don't know if a lot of people know, is named after LBJ. Because, I don't remember, was he senator? He was senator at the time that he created this? It would have have been in the 50s. Probably.
0: Let's, you know, let's look this up and see. 1954 Johnson Amendment.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so what? here's another thing that blows my mind. Only one, since that's been enacted, only one church has ever had their tax exemption revoked. Maybe one, maybe two. Didn't that happen to Scientology, actually?
0: Didn't well, they have it? It, it did but not it, it, the reason scientology's tax exemption and you'll have to tell me cuz the johnson amendment is not something i'm deeply familiar with mm-hmm. um, they were they, the tax exemption of scientology was removed taken away from them after irs investigation in 1967
2: due to enormity mm.
0: rather than you know political lobbying or political uh, activity
1: And explain to me what enormant means.
0: Okay. So enormant is when the guy at the top is getting all the money.
2: Ah, okay.
0: The money is being funneled to that person in an advantageous way for them and to the detriment of the organization. And it's not acting in the public good or for charitable causes. It's acting as a, you know, a money well for the leader.
1: Well, isn't that pretty much every megachurch?
0: Yes, it is, (laughs) but proving that, (laughs) right, proving that paper, you know, walking those paper trails, doing those audits, laying that case out is uh, something the IRS just doesn't seem to really be that interested in doing these days. And I have my own sort of (laughs) semi-conspiratorial theories as to why that is. Maybe having to do with lobbyists and political influence. I don't think Mm -hmm. I'm uh, going off the deep end into flat earth territory when I say that there is religious influence in Washington. Uh, (laughs) Perhaps undue influence. And, uh, you know.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's a deep one, but you're probably onto something there. Yeah. And, but yeah, so interestingly, since then, um, apparently only one church in upstate New York had their tax exemption revoked, I guess, in the early 90s. Something involving, they put out a full-page ad opposing Bill Clinton Uh, running, and so that led to it. Since then, in the last 30 years, we've seen it, I mean, blatant violations. They don't even care anymore. That's right. And nothing's happening. And so, yeah, that's a problem.
0: Exactly. And I, I came to learn one of the reasons for that was actually structural. It was simply the fact that there were two people in the IRS, including one of them being the guy overseeing the IRS, the uh, the um, uh, whoever the, the cabinet-level position is that's over the IRS. Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering the name of that title right now. but um, And the head of the IRS— um, we're the only people empowered to be able to actually push for and make an investigation happen because that unit or those people within the IRS who were supposed to have that investigatory oversight function weren't even there. There had been budget cuts to the IRS, as I understand it, that removed mm-hmm. those people from those positions and so it was it was uh, wild wild West as far as church organizations were concerned that just nobody was getting investigated or looked into for blatant heinous examples of of uh, violating their 501c3 uh, exemption
1: so to be honest when I first heard I don't remember when this would have been Sometime in the last 20 years, when I first heard this conversation being had, uh, you know, should we be taxing the churches? Right. And people pushing for it. And I remember my first instinct was all my first response was always. But what about no taxation without representation? Mm -hmm. So how would we successfully do this without now meaning we legally have to allow them. I mean, isn't that a blatant violation of the separation of church and state? Like, how would we how would that how would this actually function and work realistically?
0: Yeah, there was a phrase for this, which I'm unfortunately um, not remembering right now. My memory is just all over the place this morning, unfortunately. But there, this did come up and go through the court system as a sort of beneficent neutrality. There was a phrase, and that wasn't—I don't know that that was it. But there was this idea from the government that, look, we're going to look kindly on these organizations because there's a tradition. It comes out of English law and it goes back centuries. Of, um, we're going to leave these churches alone because they operate for the public benefit and because they are charitable organizations, and, and because we want to hold that separation of church and state inviolate. We want to not mess with these guys because, mm-hmm. our, of course, our entire country is founded on religious discrimination. The people were coming over right. here because they were getting killed.
1: Oh, right.
2: Yeah.
0: On the other side of the pond for right. their religious beliefs. And they were like, we're not doing that anymore. We're definitely not doing that. And maybe they went a little too far in executing (laughs) that intention. And that's been the interpretation over all the years. I mean, churches were not even formally tax-exempt by law until the 1890s. And it wasn't until the current tax code came into play, I think it was 1913 or so, where it was now the formalized rules and what we know of as 501c3 and that tax code, that's when all that really came into play, and it's been upheld ever since. In any legal review, and it's and it's always been about trying to protect these organizations from government oversight or or persecution, uh, not right. not protect them from government oversight, although that happens but you know protect them from persecution and 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 you get that i that's an argument that does make sense historically
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know state uh churches church of england i mean we can go back in time and you can look at the marriage of church and state with and the semi theocracy or full on theocracy that can happen and the abuses that go on there and you go well, we don't want any of that but then we get The L. Ron Hubbards, (laughs) the the Joel Osteens, the the Jim Bakers of the world, the people who will take this and they will run with it in the opposite direction to accumulate vast amounts of wealth and influence and power. And unfortunately, this is not just those guys that we see on the stage. There's lots of guys you don't see who are getting all kinds of advantages out of this. And that's why this debate exists of, well, should we be taxing these guys or not? Because these abuses are rampant and they're so blatant and in your face that you can't, you kind of go, wait a minute, that's not right. How is this happening? And it's happening because of tax-exempt status.
1: And part of the problem is there's no financial transparency.
0: Exactly. They're,
1: They're not required to disclose what their income is how much they're spending, how much they're spending on charity, uh, on charitable donations, you name it. And that's a problem because for obvious reasons, right? <laughs> but also, secular 501 Cs do have to report. They have to be financially transparent. That seems very unfair to me.
0: Me too. And that is actually one of the exact points, a specific point that I have as one of my arguments against this, uh, against tax exemption, is it is, be, is what comes along with tax exemption is a zero transparency policy for churches. And mm-hmm. this is, again, interpreted as, you know, well, we don't want to be dictating what they can and can't spend their money on or, you know, this kind of nonsense. But I, I don't see any real effective or practical arguments for maintaining non-transparency. I think they need to open up their books. I'm mm-hmm. very curious about where the Church of Scientology is spending its money, investing its money, what property it has that we don't know about, those kinds of things. I'd, I'd be very curious about that. And I don't see the downside to churches having to open their books Considering the millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, that they are saving by not having to pay taxes.
1: Right. That, that seems and it an makes even, you wonder.
0: Yeah. It seems like an Would, even exchange, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder, do you think, what percentage do you think of the congregants of, I don't know, say Joel Osteen's megachurch? Yeah. How many do you think are aware of his splendid wealth and um, splendid wealth? Why did I say that? Does that sound right?
0: (laughs) Well, I I mean, I thought it was appropriate that he it's he he lives his life lavishly.
1: Yeah. Extravagant amount of wealth. Maybe that's what
2: I was going to say. Yeah.
1: Um, Because my guess is yes. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard. It's, It's everywhere. Everybody talks about it. But and why doesn't that matter to them? How come how many what percentage of congregants would fall away when they see how little their donations are actually being used charitably?
0: Well, see, that's the, that's the whole smoke and mirrors song and dance of what they of what they do. The real work of cult leaders or of the Joel Austins of the world is to work to present a public image of charity and compassion and good works. And, mm-hmm. and it's no different with Scientology, with their front groups, they have an anti-drug group, they have a, a literacy program, they have a criminal program for cri- mm-hmm. criminal reform, and they can trot these programs out. And so the, the, the flock, the public, the paying people, get this impression that while... The leader is leading an ostentatious life, does have the mega mansion and flies around in the in the G six and you know has the has wears the John Loeb shoes and has the thousand dollar suits. They're able, and I've watched this, I've I've I used to do this, much less I've watched other people do it, is they're able to give them a pass. Because they work so hard, they deserve some good things. They they are God's chosen. What do we want them walking around in rags? What is the, are they Gandhi? Come on, you know this can't is can't be America. like Jesus, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and and because they are almost uniformly, and this is including Scientology, preaching a prosperity gospel.
1: Oh right, of course. So they're they're basically their wealth they're allowed to be extravagant with it and in your face because it's a sign they're blessed by their deity.
0: That's right. So. And, and and they in fact and it's really hard to get this outside of the group. You look you look at it from outside and you go, you guys are getting conned, right? But the right. guys inside they believe that their leader, the Joel Austins of the world, actually personify the success that they are going to eventually experience.
1: Right. Good point. It's all about hope.
0: That's right, Mm -hmm. because it's a prosperity gospel. If you just keep giving, you will get. It's that whole the secret thing. You just put it out in the universe, and it'll come back to you. That's where all this stuff kind of comes together at a you know, at a base belief level. And and you get people thinking that way and that their success is right around the corner. It's one donation away. Dig deep for Jesus and you will reap the benefits. And they believe it because they're desperate, generally, you know, kind of desperate people.
1: Right, right. I don't want to um, change the subject. I want to stay focused, but you just reminded me that um, I've been trying to write a piece, doing a little research on whether or not prosperity gospel triggers the same part of the brain that, um, is related to gambling addiction. Basically prosperity gospel is kind of the, the slot machine. The, the more coins you point in, put in, eventually you're going to win the big jackpot. And, um, I don't know if anybody's done any studies because every time I try to look for studies, I'm not finding very many. But uh, right.
0: I, I'll 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 give my opinion on that, right? Because I can't okay, point to a study it. on it. But my opinion is, knowing the addictive nature of religious cult activity and the awe-inducing, euphoria-inducing, you know, purpose of the mass. Uh, large group awareness trainings, the the mass uh, meetings, that the you know the group thing that they're trying to create is that euphoria, that becomes addictive, and it fulfills emotional needs in terms of purpose and meaning and direction in life. And so that gives somebody a direction that if I keep giving, or if I keep thinking the right thoughts, or have the faith, or you know support the leader. I will eventually get the returns on that investment. And that can absolutely have an addictive flavor or quality to it, which is unfortunately why we see senior citizens sometimes giving over their whole savings to these con men. And that's where it becomes truly abusive uh, for people because they are giving way too much, way more than they should. So to me, that's pretty much same, same with what we see with gambling addiction
1: right Yeah. yeah that that's pretty much the reason i made that connection i was like i wonder if it's yeah the same part of the brain but then you have to wonder to go even further is that just religion in general does Um, it have to be prosperity gospel for it to trigger those parts of the
0: no but i think there has to be a solid and and in the mind of the person of of the believer there has to be an irrefutable unmistakable Um, goal or some kind of return that's coming to them that is worth all that investment. And -hmm. a lot of people who have religious beliefs are not that far down the spectrum of extremism. They they understand, I'm hoping this is true. You know, maybe this is Mm -hmm. true. Uh, My parents told me it's true. I'm in a social group or a social circle, and everybody believes this is true, and I'm going to get mine when I die, and I'm going to have a good place to go, or, 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 right? And they look at more than just the return on investment as why they're sticking with it. There's the social factors, the moral factors, and all of that. So I think you can have religion without any of this nonsense
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But we but but it's in the interests of the con men, uh the televangelists, the L. Ron Hubbards of the world, to mm-hmm. rile people up into believing that no, 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 religion's not just a passive activity, it's an active thing. And if you're not investing in it on a daily basis and committing to it, then you're not really a true believer.
1: Right, right. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. I think that's where and that's where lines get crossed because they don't define religion or religious activity in the government or in the constitution or in our in these court cases in a in a practical way they don't draw any lines at all and because they're not drawing any lines that's where open abuse and blatant abuse can come into play and we see unfortunately that human rights violations are 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 given a pass in the courts when mm-hmm. ex-members try to go and say, hey, I was abused in this group. They go, yeah, but you were part of a religion and you were believed and you said this is what you wanted and you said this is what I want to do and this level of discipline and punishment, you you agreed to it. What are, we, what are we supposed to say? And that's And that argument kind of, it's a difficult one, but I still think they're coming down on the wrong side of this. You know, in giving these things a pass, and that is kind of what happens with the tax exemption. Is well, you know, you if, if you want, if in for a penny, in for a pound, kind of thinking. And I think I think it's possible that we can treat this maybe with a little bit more nuance.
1: Right, right. You well, know? when I brought up the no taxation without representation, I was thinking, I aren't they already representing religion? being wearing it on their sleeves in while in office yes like i don't i'm not sure i understand what it actually would mean if they literally had that representation then in government if we were taxing them
0: yeah i think that i think that I don't totally fully understand that argument, so it's difficult for me to comment on it in terms of what Mm -hmm. kind of representation would they need or have beyond being citizens of the country, voting citizens, which is pretty much our representation is through our government structures more than our religious structures. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that we would need to create new levels of representation for churches if we started taxing them. I think that they have that representation through their elected officials and I think if anything right now, due to the amount of money they have and influence they already have, because many of those elected officials are also congregants, <laughs> they're believers. And they take those beliefs with them into office. You look at places like Oklahoma, they quote the Bible on the floor of, their, of the state senate in right. justifying their legislative actions. That's off the rails to me. That is so off the rails to me, I can't even uh, approach it. But that's what I mean by that kind of influence that is brought into government is they're already that it, they they definitely have representation, right? <laughs> you know? I think they might have a little too much representation when it comes to this question, if I actually think about it in that way. So I so I don't think they're I don't think they're missing out on any of their of their um, rights. As a religious, as an organization or, or a church, I think their views are overrepresented by the believers that, that you know, go to Washington.
1: And it wouldn't be a violation of the establishment cause because it's still not establishing a national religion.
0: Well, that's exactly the point. That's That was that point of that sort of beneficent, you know, we'll leave them alone because we're not going to. Engage in too much oversight because we don't want to collapse that wall. Um, I, like I said, I think they're just going too far in the other direction. So this, I think, these points are kind of settled. But I think, I think the arguments against tend to be that uh, there is the constitutional point. I mean, maybe it's not settled. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn in saying that. I think, I think this is a, a, a still a debated topic as to whether it's constitutional or not for churches to not, you know, to be tax exempt. For me, the argument comes down to the abusive nature and the, and, the, and the past that they get on that, right? And the blatant human rights violations that exist. I, that's where I kind of go. Urgh.
1: Right, because we're um, subsidizing them.
0: Exactly. When tax-exempt money can be used to, to fund private investigators who go stalk and harass ex-members, and that's mm-hmm. not just Scientology that happens, that is a that is a funded, uh, organized activity. That's not just some outliers.
2: Right, right.
0: And when that kind of thing is given a pass and can't even get into the courts because of contract law now, now this is something Scientology is using where they're using contract law to say No, you can't sue us for fraud or for human or civil rights violations because you signed a contract as a Scientologist that you would go to religious arbitration, see? And so now you're going to have to go back to your abuser to judge whether you've been abused or not. That's insane.
1: Agreed.
0: Absolutely insane. And yet it's happening right now as we speak. That's, that's beyond the pale to me. And, and somehow that's where our court system loses the plot. As one example, right? We could probably talk abuses of televangelists and cultic leaders and the using religion as a front for their abusive behavior. There's probably examples all day long that, right. we, could, that we could cite. And it shouldn't be. It simply shouldn't be. We can have religious freedom and we can recognize religious freedom as a human right without letting these predators get away with this activity.
1: And we would have, what, what do they estimate? Seven billion in tax revenue? Yes. Really so like much
0: money. So much money.
1: So much money. That could make, Oh, so, I, I can't even fathom what difference that could make to better our country. And it, it would help all of us religiously affiliated or not.
0: That's right. And
1: you, we heard a lot of talk about uh, places like Walmart, uh, big corporations that are underpaying their employees, and then the rest of us end up subsidizing their lives when they need the federal social or the state social programs to help them out, right? Yep. And rarely do you see the general public uh, c- having that same conversation about religious organizations and the amount of money that could possibly help everyone and how we and i think that's very interesting and telling
0: i do too and they, and i tend to see at the individual level i see arguments against this from either a believer headspace of well it's a church and of course they're doing good and how could you possibly question otherwise entirely faithful trust sort of view or from the point of view of no we don't want these organizations taxed because then the charitable work that they do won't be possible anymore. And if I give money to that church, it's going to get taxed. Uncle Sam's going to get their cut. How much are they going to get? It's out of our hands. You know, these these our, our local church on the corner could be taxed out of existence because they're not, you know, making enough money. And sure enough, if we flip the script and we started taxing churches, it's absolutely a fact that some churches would not be able to sustain themselves.
1: Right. They would not survive. That is that is actually the only con I've heard anybody ever express. Well, but the little, the small guy down the street, the little church, he's going to go under, you know? That's
2: right. That's and,
1: right. you know, to some, some people will say, well, yeah, that's the point. We need fewer churches. <laughs> but I don't necessarily have that
2: agenda.
0: <laughs> no. And in fact, servicing that agenda would be the exact point of why, Churches are granted tax-exempt status because the government, it's not the place of the government to tax churches out of existence. Right. That would be a form of religious oppression. And believe me, there's plenty of historical precedent of government overreach and destroying religions and minority religions they don't like.
2: Right. That
0: happens. It happens in Russia almost every day so so that's a thing we can take this too far
1: but why would we assume that it would be a flat tax why wouldn't why couldn't it be based on how much what your donations are your income et etc
0: i think it could be i don't see any reason why there couldn't be a graduated scale there's so many ways we could approach this that would mm-hmm. make sense and be sensible it wouldn't have to be a flat thing at all any more than it's a flat fee for the various tax brackets and you know socioeconomic status. I don't see any reason why churches couldn't be taxed the same way. What we find, of course, when we try to implement systems like that, from my layman understanding, okay, I'm, I'm far from an economics expert, but— what I see, of course, is that the more money the big corporations have, the more lawyers they can hire, the more loopholes they can find and exploit and get mm-hmm. out of paying those taxes. Uh, and even like Walmart famously or many other mega corporations even flip the script and get subsidized by the government's local and federal in order to merely exist because they bring jobs and they bring this into the community and that into the community and so they actually get paid for showing up and building a building and opening a store church mega churches i could see doing the exact same thing so so that level of of corruption isn't even a religious thing i think it's just a mega corporation problem and right. whether it's religious or not, and I think we need to really, you know, kind of tighten the straps on that one somehow. That's the real hard fight. That's the hard fight. But it, but with religion, I, I think it's worth investing in or looking at religion as a subbody of that, and going, you know, what it's time for these groups as a whole to be taxed and par- and start contributing more to society than the assumption that they're engaged in good public policy and charitable works. Because we find too many exceptions where they're not.
1: Agreed. Agreed. But yeah. then there's the question, too, of if we're going to start taxing religious organizations that automatically are tax-exempt, uh, they don't have to file like a, another nonprofit company would have to, Yep.
2: Um,
1: does that mean we also have to tax the secular 501? three C's otherwise would it look like discrimination
0: right was it 501 as a whole because it's 501 right. C3 for religious and it's C4 for secular and the, you know there's a there's breakdowns on it right mm. um, that's a good point I think that you're also looking at either charitable not secular charitable organizations and you're looking at educational groups. And I think there are very different arguments to be made for secular charities and non-religious-based charities, and for educational groups or or activities. And I think I th- I don't think the same arguments hold for those groups. Maybe I'm Ill, you know I'm I'm ill-informed, but I don't see the level of um duplicity and deceit that goes on in the religious organizations that I, that right. I don't see that in those five in those tax exempt educational organizations.
2: Maybe so
1: maybe the answer maybe the answer is not to outright tax all of them, but to only enforce the Johnson amendment and just make sure that the ones that are violating it and and using their platform for hate and so forth and human rights issues get theirs revoked maybe yes. we, maybe the answer i mean even if that alone happened can you imagine the revenue from that
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely I could. I can also envision the the entire counter PR campaign from the churches on it. <laughs> They're coming after <laughs> us. They're coming to close our doors. It's, it's religious persecution by the IRS, right? If you actually established a unit in the IRS that really got real about this and really started investigating organizations that were blatantly violating the tax codes. I would love to see that. I would I would oh, I, know. I would actually be happy to pay a little bit more in taxes <laughs> to enable something like that to occur if they, even if that was necessary. I don't think it is. I think the government has plenty of money to do this. They just lack the political will and and, and urgency to do so. Um, mm-hmm. but I, if the IRS were to be beefed up in such a way that their sort of 501c3 investigatory arm, let's say, <laughs> Was was really put into play, and they really started doing their job. You would see, um, you would absolutely see that PR push against that, mm-hmm. but that would just be indicative of the fact that they're doing their job, and and they and they would just need to ignore that and keep doing their job. And right, not, because the and, proof you know, would
1: be in the fact that it's not all churches.
0: Exactly, and it wouldn't and you'd have to demonstrate quickly that you're willing to prosecute or take away tax exemption across a spectrum, not just Christians, not just Islam, right. not just mosques, right? It, not just cults, it would have to be all of them would be getting a fair right. review. And if you could demonstrate that that was what the agenda you were operating on, that it wasn't about religious persecution of minorities or about um, just a certain type of religion, Mm -hmm. then I think you'd be able to operate with a certain degree of impunity despite the PR backlash. But let's not underestimate the PR backlash, right? And the tendency of people as believers in these groups to get a little fanatical about, oh, they're coming after us next, right? That that whole line that already is popular right
2: now, right? They're just looking for any reason
1: to feel persecuted or or claim persecution, even when it's yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. It it tends to be a thing, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, isn't that interesting?
0: It tends to be a thing. Uh, We this this persecution complex, right? It tends to really be focused on the religious groups and really rile that up quickly.
1: And, and you know uh, well, I don't want to get into that because now then we'll end up going down another <laughs> rabbit hole that
2: of <laughs> off topic
1: but, um, uh, and, and I have a tendency to do that so yeah, don't worry
2: <laughs>
0: I, I don't care we're, we're, we're just talking here today.
1: Um, but you know what I was going to bring up actually is that I'd heard and I don't know I didn't look it up, but I had heard that Switzerland taxes their religious organizations and I'd be curious if we looked to other developed nations that do it, And how that works and how that, you know, what the outcome has been for their country, that would be very interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, apparently on church tax, the the bit clipped from the Wikipedia article here is the members of Church of Sweden pay church fee, which varies between municipalities, but can be as much as 2%. Church and state are separated as of 2000. However, the burial tax is paid by everyone, regardless of membership.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, also curious here. Um, in Germany, churches can collect taxes from their members. This is called the church tax. Around oh, that's half. Yeah, around half of German taxpayers pay the church tax. It's but per- Is
1: that just what they're calling tithing?
0: I think so. That's what it appears to be. The church tax is eight percent of your income in Bavaria and nine percent in the rest of Germany. So, yeah, that looks like a mandatory tithing system is what that looks like. Interesting. Yeah, so absolutely other models could be looked at as to what other countries are doing with this. Mm-hmm. I believe from one of my earlier studies on this, and maybe I should have boned up on this before we did this, but I believe uh, that, that in the main, churches are tax-exempt worldwide as the standard or norm. And it's kind of unusual if churches are being taxed, but I, I don't think that's a solid argument for not doing it. I, I, I really think Agreed. in this day and age, um, the abusive nature of this and the widespread abusive nature of this, kind of demands a review of this whole tradition.
1: Agreed. Because that's, you know, we're supposed to be able to evolve, right? We're supposed to be able to socially look at things, uh, with fresh eyes over time. And, uh, evolve, uh, and make changes when necessary, where do, and I think our culture generally, I mean, human nature, let's be honest, human nature tends to progress, progress at a snail's pace and uh, baby steps. And this is something that definitely needs to be reviewed. Lot, there are a lot of things that I think a lot of people fight change. I think for some personality types, I think there's just a knee jerk. Like, oh, change. Nope. Don't want it. Yep. Don't need it. Yep. I'm used to this. I don't want to learn something new. I don't want to. There's a knee jerk, ugh, you know, even if it ends up being positive. and And that's what slows us down. It's it, having to deal with that energy that's like, um,
2: inertia. We'll
0: it's cultural inertia, yeah. right? Yeah. It, I believe, I, I believe you're absolutely right. This kind of thing is a is probably going to be a generational change. Another way I've, I've described it, um, kind of like LGBT rights or or civil rights. You know, these have been generational changes. It's been incremental, mm-hmm. and I think the merely, you know, the demand to ask the question has grown to a place now where we're doing podcasts about it. I mean, I this isn't some rando thing. This has been talked about for years now as a as a an important topic. And I think um I think regulation, I think increasing regulation of our existing tax code is a first place to start. We don't have to go for, you know, okay, full, forget it, they're all getting taxed. We can do this incrementally, right? But first, why don't we get the IRS doing their damn job?
2: Right.
0: You know, I think a lot of our problems in the movement to, you know, amongst the people, let's say, who want to tax churches, I think that's born out of an awful lot of frustration about the IRS just not doing their job in the first place. Uh, Not dissimilar to the problem with cops, defund (laughs) the police, right? Right. Why defund right. the police? Because you've just given up any hope that they're ever going to actually do their job. That's why, you know. Even though they actually do their job every day, they really do show up to work and they really do do their job. But we mm-hmm. see these egregious examples of abusive behavior out of the police, and we go, ah, get rid of all of them, right? And it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's of course, right. It is. So you know, we can we reform that? Of course we can. Do we need to? You're goddamn right, we do. We're way overdue for police reform, way overdue at a national level. Same with the churches, right? We're way overdue for reform on this. And it could start with reinforcing existing laws, you know, getting the IRS to do their job. And maybe out of that, we might start seeing real world numbers of how bad is this really? You know, we get this impression from the media and from ex-members of cults like me and People who come out of religion and go, wait a minute, this isn't right. We, you know, what is the actual percentage of problem there? Well, maybe some studies could be done or should be done to to kind of lay that out.
1: Agreed. Absolutely. Where are you sociologists? Why aren't you investigating this? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> hey, you religious studies guys. <laughs> now, why don't you study this?
1: <laughs> this is an idea. Exactly.
0: Um Anyway, yeah, so those are kind of my ideas in terms of maybe sort of incrementally getting started is why don't we get what we've got going already without having to change a whole lot. But with an eye toward, look, if this is as big of a problem as we think it is, then we really need a sea change. We really need a policy shift and maybe taxing or introducing taxes at a certain level of income. And demanding yearly audits so that they can't get away with that. Because in the post-9-11 world, it's really hard to move money and hide it. It's really hard. Uh, That's kind of taken care of now. We don't have to worry about secret Swiss bank accounts like we used to pre-9-11. Their reputation kind of doesn't really fit the reality of the real world now. You can't just go hide money overseas and get away with it. Mm-hmm. They will find it, and and all the banks and all the institutions have developed a network that actually kind of works in regards that. From the people who work that stuff, that that's what they tell me. So so I'm not concerned about these guys hiding money from the IRS. I think the IRS has the capability of finding all their money. Um, so if we had yearly audits or yearly inspections or you know reporting that actually gave the the picture. I don't necessarily feel like I have to see those books as long as I know the IRS is looking at them.
1: He's taking care of it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. And if they're hitting over 10 million a year or some bullshit, right, or a million or however much, we have some scale of like, okay, well, guess what? Some of that's going in this direction, you know, toward the government. I could see that as a certainly fair sort of thing. You know, we see this tax the billionaires thing. <laughs> I think it's the similar
2: concept, right.
0: you know, and, and it, it's bizarre to me. What do you think of this? I think it's bizarre that there are regular citizens who are so brainwashed by billionaires that they actually think that's some kind of imposition on them. I know.
2: <laughs> it, it I boggles can't me. to be, to be
1: Yeah, I can't relate to it, to be honest, because I've never envied I've never idolized somebody or or envied someone or looked up to them as better than me in any way, just because they were wealthy.
2: Yeah, It's
1: just, I can't, I can't relate to that mindset in the first place. There's something incredibly shallow about it. Being yeah. unable to look past that veneer and see who's behind who, who the person really is. It's, it's, it's strange. Um, but, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up yeah. that's related to all this is what's it called? the, a parsonage or parish exemption, something having to do with uh, clergy's homes also being tax-exempt or something like that?
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, okay. Ministers' compensation and, and allowances. Parsonage allowance, yes. Uh, ministers' so
2: living— that? Factor.
0: Well, here's here's what it means. Uh, Ministers living in parsonages provided by the church may have part of their compensation designated as a tax-free parsonage or housing allowance to cover the cost of furniture purchase and repair, as well as other expenses related to maintenance that are not reimbursed by the church employer. And again, we can see immediately how this could be twisted how it could be used I can see how it could be used in a legitimate honest way to ease for sure right and then I see how Joel Austin could take it and justify a a, easily
1: abused yes
0: right eight million dollar mansion oh well it's part of my you know I'm not going to pay taxes on some of that because of my parsonage allowance right and you're like Mm -hmm. dude come on
1: on." yikes Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there's all sorts of layers here that would need to be tackled.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think I think that's absolutely true. Um, Any other thoughts on this?
1: No. Let me. I have some notes here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Share with me. (laughs) Oh, let's see if there's anything I wanted to say that I did not. Oh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you. Well, so far, we've pretty much only, I mean, pretty much the only con we brought up was just smaller churches going kaput. And that not even necessarily being true, depending on whether it's a flat tax or not or whatever. That's right. Uh, All the pros pretty much outweigh. Right? Like, all the pros of taxing churches... Or, I, I'm using churches to mean religious organizations in general. This this is not a just Christianity thing, obviously. That's right. We've already been yeah. over that. But um, <clears throat> what I want to know is, does that mean... one? If, if we did this, does that mean that one of the benefits from their point of view would be they could start speaking on political matters without fear.
0: Yes, because that because restriction would be Amendment. gone.
1: Right, because the Johnson <laughs> <laughs> the Johnson yeah. Amendment would be revoked. And so, you know, if, if you want to look at it from their point of view of why they, one of the things they would benefit um, from this.
0: Yeah, no, there, well, you know, let me, uh, here's an article on the Johnson Amendment and a quote from Trump, of all people. So recent political rhetoric on this topic, in his address to the National Prayer Breakfast, and, you know, we've talked about the National Prayer Breakfast in earlier shows. You want to talk about tearing down that wall between church and state. What the hell are these people doing having a National Prayer Breakfast in the first place? Oh, that gets my goat. Oh, that pisses me off. <laughs> oh, okay. But President Trump vowed to, quote, get rid of and totally destroy the Johnson Amendment and allow our representatives of faith to speak freely and without fear of retribution.
1: What? How did I miss that?
0: Yeah, that's a direct quote, right? Because the because the Johnson Amendment regulates what tax-exempt organizations, such as... Um, churches can do in the political arena, and they were, they were absolutely prohibited from directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for elective public office. That's part of the Johnson Amendment, and we see that violated blatantly and routinely in televised, YouTubed sermons and addresses to congregations all the time
1: all the time wasn't there even a mega church i don't remember which one where the lead pastor brought trump right on stage before when while he was running or something
0: oh yeah liberty university uh, They they bring political people there all the time when falwell jr was running the show there uh blatantly violating johnson amendment and just not caring because they knew that they were never going to be prosecuted for it or receive consequences so um so if we were to start taxing these organizations of course that would change up what 501c3 is about and then they would be able to speak their minds politically and you know that that's actually a really good question because it occurs to me now we have a veneer <laughs> of separation demanded or mandated by the Johnson amendment so if we get rid of that do we want that? I don't know, I don't think I mean, we do. Yeah,
1: I don't, it's like they're already doing it. And yeah. technically, when you look at it from the point of view of, if you're a member of a church and you like that church for the most part, but might disagree on a couple of things and you vote separate from maybe what the lead pastor is telling you, you know, it's like, I mean, there. I don't know if it really does make that much of a difference.
0: It's hard to say. It would, again, it would really need to be studied, I think. I, mm-hmm. I can think, obviously, I go to the extreme examples of Scientology or, you know, these groups that absolutely mandate how their, how their flock are supposed to vote. And, you know, they're not in the voting booth with them. But, <laughs> but, you know, the Church of Scientology is where I went to vote. They set up voting booths in the churches.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah, right? That's a common voting place is is churches. It's, you know, it's 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 a place everybody can get to and it's and the congregation knows how to get there and it's easy to kind of figure that out. So there's a lot of benefits to putting a polling place on a church property, I suppose. Um, but it becomes another question, right? Are we violating church and state by doing that?
1: Yeah, is that a, a, like an undue influence on voters?
0: That's right. I-
1: yeah, I don't know. It's similar to schools. Religious organizations can use public school property for their little clubs and so forth as long as it's after or right before school hours, so it's not during school, yeah. and that it's um, completely separate from the staff or something like that. Like, so right. if, if the staff aren't also attending or something like that, don't quote me on that, but I know there's some rules.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but- <laughs> Well, you bring up also this point because it also brings to mind for me that, you know, we have the 501c3 for religions and then we have like, what was it, c5 or whatever for educational organizations, however it's broken down. And we have a little bit of a mix there when we have school properties and religious institutions combining, right? Mm -hmm. Private religious schools, stuff like that. How, what about them? Do they get taxed or do they not get taxed? Are they religious or are they educational? How How do we think about that, right? Oh, boy. So, again, like you said, there are layers to this that need to be looked at, which is why I still think it makes sense that maybe as the first volley in this, we really just get the IRS to start doing their damn job.
1: It really comes down to that. I it think really, we've settled it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I think it does. I think as a first uh, order of business, that's where we need to go. and mm-hmm. and And that's already existing. That's not any new laws, any new things. It's just get people on the job. Right. Don't just leave it up to the head of the IRS for God's sake. I mean, put that unit there. Put people there, you know, not just auditors who are going to mm-hmm. go audit the lower class, which is what I'm I'm kind of hearing is what's happening with the IRS these days. It's like, no, we got to actually dedicatedly start looking into the corruption and fraud that exists at this layer of society. Cuz it's gone on unchecked for too long. And I think we I think anybody with a sensible kind of look at it who isn't involved in some church activity that wants to continue that, I think everybody else kind of sees this problem for what it is. I hope, Agreed, yeah. yeah, I hope that's enough people that we can actually do something about that. But you got, you know, y'all out there, you let us know what you think. What, what are your thoughts on this? I'm very curious, very curious what people think about this because I'm not, it's not the, something I've I've gone in on a whole lot. You know, there's an idea, I will, I will bring this up, though. There's an idea that by getting rid of tax exemption for cults like Scientology, that they'll be gone in two days. Not true.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm like, how would that work? <laughs>
0: exactly. It wouldn't. It actually wouldn't. It would be a detriment to them. But I want to point out, the Church of Scientology lost tax exemption in 1967. And they didn't get it back until 1993. And they operated just fine. In fact, yeah. their heyday, the biggest time of the most Scientologists in the world, was during that period where they did not have tax exemptions.
1: That's crazy that's interesting it is well, didn't they buy like a boatload of properties that they're not even actually using or something like that so even if they lost their tax exempt status and they weren't worth millions or billions or whatever they're worth they would they could just sell those properties
0: exactly <laughs> there's so much there's so many avenues of of uh, of income for them and if those if those avenues were taxed then it would reduce a little bit. They wouldn't be making as much money, but is that going to cause churches to close down and shutter their doors and all that? Just that alone? No, of course not.
2: Right, yeah. You know,
0: the individual parishioners will not be as incentivized to give as much because they won't be getting tax exemption on their donations, but that's... But they were they they weren't incentivized from 1967 to, to you know to to uh, 1993, and right. they still gave millions and millions of dollars to the Church of Scientology, you know millions. So mm-hmm. this idea that you know I'm just kind of challenging something that I know a lot of people who follow me on my channel are gonna maybe go wait a minute Chris what are you saying that's not true no it is it's tax exemption is not necessarily the the wooden stake in the heart that you might think it is mm-hmm. and it, and if you think through these factors you'll understand why i'm saying that you know it's i do believe the church of scientology should absolutely have their tax exemption revoked for blatant violations of 501c3 in public policy it's they're they're well overdue for that they're like a little mafia operation that just calls themselves a church
1: like the Catholic Church and I mean <laughs> why didn't they get theirs revoked with, with the child abuse cover up I mean to be honest that's pretty much every major I mean the Southern Baptists you name it but
0: yeah and and that's it, it, yeah it, it's that's a sad a, <laughs> statement of the human condition that that's probably the reason why it didn't get revoked is cuz they know damn well that's a problem across the spectrum with this Oh, you know, good point. yeah, it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's bad. It's really bad. It's
2: really bad. Yeah, yeah.
0: the the child sexual abuse and child abuse that goes on in these groups is horrifying. It's awful. And it
1: seems like every major religion gets a little focused time, a little more focused time. Like for a while there, it was the Catholic Church because of yeah. movies like Spotlight and so forth. Yeah. The, um, but I've been noticing a lot more focus on Amish. Um, you know what is their religion specifically? I know it's a it's a, some offshoot of Christianity but I don't know what specifically
0: their yeah religion. it's a very specific I mean there's Mennonites there's Amish there's there's yeah. a few of these things and um I can't actually speak to the roots of it I know it goes back to Europe obviously um mm-hmm. but it's a little it's a little loosey-goosey for me in my understanding of it
1: Same. Yeah. yeah yeah I'm not sure. Yeah. About that one, but anyway, I'm seeing a lot more focus on um, the child sex abuse cover-ups in Amish communities.
0: Interesting.
1: Which is interesting. Same with Southern Baptists. I've, I'm seeing those two being talked about a lot lately.
0: Right. It tends mm-hmm. to be a topic that is um, that comes to like culturally, like okay, we'll look at this group, and then somebody, some bright bulb will go, oh yeah, what about these guys? And they'll go investigate them, and then somebody, will, oh yeah, what about these guys? And they'll go investigate them, and then you have. This picture of widespread abuse, but right. it, you know it's individual reporting for individual reasons that kind of comes together and paints this picture and you see like what I just said right it 's rampant it's a problem mm-hmm. and it's a problem across the boards um, you you basically from my perspective when you when you put too much power and influence or authority invested in in these small groups or these extremist groups. It's almost a, a pre, it's a predictable outcome that they're right. Are, that, I
1: mean, no you know. no organization should be untouchable.
0: Exactly.
2: Period. Exactly. But
1: we're seeing it happening with religious organizations, and that's incredibly scary and troubling. And I mean, don't get me wrong; I shouldn't make it sound like it's a, some new thing. I'm sure it's been going on for eons everywhere.
2: Exactly. But, <laughs> Exactly.
1: <laughs> and it's, it's just now we're talking about it.
0: That's right. And that's really the point, right? Me too. And these other things and, and and the entire women's lib movement that goes back decades, right? A century. All of that is part of why we are now seeing and more aware of and more willing to have conversation about this is because it's more we're not we're not Victorian anymore. We're not, you know, hide it in the closet. We don't wanna, oh, good people. Good people don't talk about such things. Now we're like, no, no, good people do talk about such things.
1: Do talk about those things, exactly.
0: Right, and we're facing that, that backlash from the religious circles who maintain those kind of Victorian attitudes And part of that is, as we said at the top, right, is this sort of, well, women are kind of property, and that's what the book says, and therefore, and and this is the really negative, nasty side of this that we really have big problems with.
1: Um, It's why people used to look the other way with domestic violence. That's right. Not my business. Yep.
0: Exactly. And actually, no, it kind of is. Right, right. Uh, from a societal point of view, not from a you know one on one. I need to go be a busybody. It's this is a detriment to our society. This is the next generation, and when we are abusing our next generation and hiding it and excusing it and rationalizing it, we're not doing ourselves or those kids any favors.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that's
0: that's so new that it's still being fought as an attitude. You know, but it's out of those abuses, those kind of things, that egregious behavior, that this tax-exempt question comes up. It's right. it's, it's really all part of the same conversation. So, ugh, people.
1: No. <laughs> you know, we're exhausting. Human beings are exhausting, but we need each other.
0: Exactly. I mean, and that's it,
1: probably... the the root of every (laughs) major issue is we all we all want to love each other
0: that's right that's right
1: some people just make it
2: difficult that's right (laughs) right.
0: exactly and some people want to love each other a little too much (laughs) can't believe i said that but yeah that's uh that's where it goes right all right well liz i want to i want to let's go ahead and wrap up here i want to thank you for for being on my show this week
1: Thank you so much for inviting me this was as great as i thought it would be
0: awesome awesome well you definitely we definitely had some stimulating conversation here and i hope i hope food for thought that's actually what this podcast was about this week is just kind of a thought experiment sort of a let's talk about this and here's some views here's some ideas what do you guys think
2: you know
1: yes exactly those are the best conversations to have because none of us have all the answers to everything and smart people ponder these things they, they because we, you know, smart people know that we don't have the answers to everything and we need to talk about these things in order to find solutions. And um, so that's really the, the encouragement to discuss these things.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So I would I would love to see from from you all who are watching this. Um, what are your best arguments for or against? Where do you come down on this, and why? Let me know. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna battle with you in the comments. I'm generally curious about where you're coming from, so let me know. And uh, and also, of course, uh, Liz, where do people find you if they are interested in pursuing what you're all about?
1: Um, well, I am on Patreon. I write a lot on there, and I'm also going to start hosting fun Zoom. Hangouts. Uh, and that's at um, patreon.com backslash godlessliz, I think. And of course, I'm on Twitter at godlessliz. And um, and there's LizLapoint.com, my website the, that you were saying that you <laughs> perused and it's full of, yeah, I, I've done. It, it is weird because when people ask, what do you do?
0: Well, it's, I mean, it's kind of, I think that's, I think that's cool. I like people who have a multivaried background and experience and bring various things to the fore because you, because it wasn't just some like little flyby, you know, thing for you when you went into looking at and talking about sex and sexual matters and identity and all of that. You did, you went deep on that, so to speak. I mean, you really did really serious study and, and immersion, even in you know, in cultures and looking at that. And I respect that, I really do, because it's not just mm-hmm. a well, this is my opinion, and you know, whatever. It's like, no, I want to know more about this, and that's of course what led, led you to being critical of religion. And I, I'm a hundred percent on board with that.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, all right. Alright folks out there, so um, if you're finding the channel here, entertaining, informative, and educational, then consider supporting me through Patreon as well, and uh, or PayPal, Venmo, and I of course have just recently turned on memberships on my YouTube channel as well, so if you don't want to go to Patreon or do some third party thing. You can always just support right through YouTube. There's a join button right below this video on YouTube. You can
2: check out. All right. I will see you guys next week. Thanks for coming around. Bye-bye.